I'm Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you a real conversation with Stella Collins, learning expert and co-founder of Stella Labs. I say real conversation because this is probably the most conversational podcast I've engaged in. Stella has an insatiable curiosity for everything. It's shaped both her career and life and continues to be a guiding skill in her decisions and directions. Our conversation begins with Stella sharing how curiosity took her into the world of IT and later training, a function she didn't really want. Enjoy our podcast on leading with curiosity. In 2015, I moved back from Australia to the UK for a couple of years, and that's where I met Stella Collins. Now, Stella was already building a worldwide reputation as an expert in brain-friendly learning. And as soon as her book was published, I devoured it. It's called Neuroscience for Learning and Development. And I was also a regular attendee at Stella's experiential brain-friendly learning groups. And a trait that I noticed and actually really admired in Stella whenever I was interacting with her was around curiosity. And that is the subject of our podcast today. Now, curiosity seems to be a theme rippling through Stella's work and life, and I'm sure we'll be exploring that more in the next uh, 45 minutes or so. And I'm really curious, pardon the pun, to be in conversation with Stella today and and really explore the role that curiosity has taken in shaping her career and life to date. So Stella, welcome to Authentic Leadership. Thank you very much, Claire. It's really lovely to have another conversation with you. I always enjoy it. (laughs) Same here, absolutely. And um, just actually, when, when we first met, I knew straight away that you were from Liverpool, even though you do have a subtle accent, and and we sort of became kindred spirits. Uh, So before we sort of delve into the topic of curiosity, can you share a little bit of, maybe a little bit about your early career to, to set the scene and the path that took you away from Liverpool? Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you, I'm not actually from Liverpool. I'm from across the water on the Wirral. (laughs) <laughs> so I do have that slight twang and I definitely you know picked it up in your voice but I am actually from the Wirral so um but you know I've been to Liverpool many times though not in the last 20 years <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because people who come and I, I hope I hope this gets understood in the podcast, certainly by English people. People who are from the Wirral and say they're from Liverpool get challenged by us people from the other side of the water saying, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely not from Liverpool. I'm definitely from the Wirral, which is just, for anyone who doesn't know, is a little peninsula across the River Mersey. I'm going to stop there a second, Stella. Yeah. You're popping. I'm popping. Um, I'm popping, yeah. I don't know if it's your microphone or... Um, if you can turn your volume down a little bit on the mic or something like that, but it's... Um, Let me it's try popping. turning the volume down on the mic. Oh, God. Uh, come back. That's not what I want. Come on. 
Um, do you know how I turn the volume down on the mic? No. Uh, let me. I would have thought that. Is it a headset been... mic? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe move it a tiny little bit further down or something. Does that your mouth? Is that any better? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had it too close. Thank you Brilliant. very much. Okay. So that's all fine because then you can. Uh, I'll, I'll edit all of this out. So the question was. Can you share a little bit of your early career and the path that took you away from Liverpool? Do you want me so still to talk to... about I don't come from Liverpool? No, that that's fine. I'll keep that in. Okay. But that you haven't been back for 20 years or so or something like that. Oh, no. No, just answer the question. Can you share a little of your early career and path that took you away from Liverpool? Okay. Uh, yeah, certainly. Well, I, I first kind of moved away when um, I went to Sheffield University where I studied psychology, which has kind of been one of my life passions ever since I discovered it. Um, and at that time, psychology was considered a bit of a, a weird thing to study, but I absolutely loved it. It was so interesting. Um, and then I moved to London and studied human communication, which again was really, really fascinating. So, you know, I have this passion for people and understanding them and, and, and a curiosity about, you know, why people do things and why they behave like they do. So that curiosity started, well, it didn't start there. No, it did start really, really early when I was young, but I'll come back to that later, perhaps. Um, oh, now you've got me curious. I want to know about <laughs> it, but do you think it would fit better later on? Possibly. Yeah, well. I mean, I mean, basically, I've just always been curious. Um, you know, mm. my mum used to get driven mad because I was always asking her why. And she just in the end, she just took to saying she, she would, you know, she would just say she would try and explain and say because. And eventually she just took to replying with why cause. <laughs> she couldn't answer all my questions. You must have driven her nuts. I did. But she was very good. She did always try and find an answer for me, <laughs> which I think, <laughs> you know, in terms of curiosity, if you can satisfy a person's curiosity, and we will come to that later, I'm sure, mm. you know, they're more likely to remain curious. So she never stilted or stunted my curiosity, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and from, sorry, I was going to say, from, from what I know of you, your curiosity doesn't just extend to people. There's like a, there's a fascination with systems and how things work and so it's 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 that real um that real balance of of, of people and process would you agree uh, yeah totally I mean I I am horribly curious if, if I kind of somebody introduces me to something new I really do want to know more about it there are some <laughs> things that you know I've kind of delved and thought yeah that's probably not for me but I always want to know just a, a little bit more and do you, well, so if you always want to know just a little bit more, is there ever a point that you get to where you know enough? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, because I think, uh, and this all comes into, ties into learning as well, doesn't it? That um, as you, as you learn more, you realize there's even more to learn. So you keep mm. having to go either deeper or wider, you know, and it, it can, can be either depending on what it is. But, you know, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Mm. And so what what sort of role has curiosity played in your career trajectory? Because I know I have access to a little bit of the background, but you certainly um, have had a varied career and in varied places. 
Indeed. So I guess, you know, I, I, so I did all this studying around psychology and human communication. And then at that point um, in, in the UK, jobs were quite hard to come by. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with them. I loved them, but I didn't know what to do with them. So um, as part of my um, master's, I actually looked at um, computer aids, people with speech disability. And up until that point, you know, this is a long time ago when people didn't have computers in their in their homes. Um, I hadn't really understood the purpose of computers. I was kind of interested in them, but I didn't understand the purpose. And then when I discovered these speech aids, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, they've got a real purpose. So at that point, I thought, well, I need to find a job. I need to work. Um, and there were lots of jobs going in IT. So I thought, all right, I'll give I'll give IT a go. So I became a programmer. Uh, I worked in system support. Um, I did uh, was an analyst. Um, at one point, I kind of drifted off into at the time what was expert systems, which was kind of a, a kind of a side shoot, I guess, of artificial intelligence. Mm. Um, so I, so I, you know, I was kind of exploring different things within the world of of IT. Um, and then, and then I had children, and then that was an amazing, you know, curious experiment to to kind of all the things I'd learned at university about child development to start kind of um, using them okay. as little, little guinea pigs, <laughs> <laughs> experimenting on your children. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, they seem to they seem to have survived that. I was going to say they still they turned out fine. Yeah, they <laughs> did. Please, everybody, is okay. <laughs> I'm I'm extremely proud of my children. <laughs> Very proud of them. Um, and yeah, we did, we had some, so lots of our friends at that time, you know, kind of went to university and then they kind of did the, you know, the, the going abroad for a year, the, the big OE, as, as you call it over there in, in uh-huh. Australia, I think, the overseas experience. But we didn't, we just kind of settled down, we got married, we, we bought a house, we got married, we had kids. And then when the children were about three and, well, two and four, um, Actually, my sister was very poorly and nearly died. And it just really made me realize how short life is and how you've got to kind of, you know, grasp things, seize the moment. So we kind Mm. of said, well, we really fancied doing an overseas experience. Um, Neither of us spoke any other languages at that point. So we thought, well, it's got to be somewhere English speaking. Um, Anyway, we ended up in New Zealand. So we moved to New Zealand for about, well, at that point for an indefinite time. We didn't know how long we'd be there, but we said it had to be longer than two years because if you're only there two years, you'd always be thinking about going home. Yeah. Um, So that was that was a great. And, you know, again, that was a curiosity about what's it like to live in in another country, what somebody else's culture like. And I absolutely got really fascinated by the Maori culture and Mm. the kind of the history of New Zealand. So, yeah, so we lived there for four years, at which point we were kind of like, yeah, we've, we've kind of explored that sufficiently, came back to the UK mm-hmm. and was still working in IT. Um, but at that point, somebody, um, I, was, I, was, I, I took a job and the job title was um, system support and, le- and training manager. And I thought system support, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> fine but I absolutely hated the idea of being involved in training a I didn't like standing up in public and speaking terrified of it b um all the training I've had I had ever had being in IT was mainly really really dull Um, and any of Of the other training I'd had was mostly lecturing and I thought well I you know I just don't want to do that so I, I kind of ignored the training job and employed a couple of people um, one of whom, when I asked him what did he need to do his job, said a lectern, <laughs> which oh when I look goodness. back on it now, I just think that's so funny, but that was his first <laughs> requirement. <laughs> and I bought him one because I knew nothing. <laughs> 
this is I, I'm so glad you're sharing this story. You've never shared this story with me before. And as our listeners will will come to know that that you are a worldwide specialist in experiential brain friendly learning bringing learning to life and you started off thinking oh I don't want to be a training manager yeah quite <laughs> however the irony the other... is not oh well. yeah absolutely and, and the first the first purchase I made in training was a lectern <laughs> oh gosh sorry carry on no, but I. But the other person I employed um, was just. She was just a star. She was really um, passionate about learning. She was a very spontaneous kind of trainer, um, and she really got the whole kind of you know this is about the people, not about the content stuff. Mm. Um, so she began to persuade me that actually, you know, I I could I I. She convinced me that I did have a real interest in learning, as so long as it was done well. Um, and she kept inspiring me and saying, Stella, look, this is this is a really good role for you. All that psychology, everything you know, you know, this is a great role. So I kind of got, you know, I got curious and I started to investigate more. Um, wow. Yeah. And then I went to um, CIPD conference uh, at that time. And there were, you know, as as still happens, but rather less so. There were a lot of people in gray suits and there was a lot of mm. HR, but there were some learning people there. Um but again, they were sort of mostly in grey suits. And I was thinking, yeah, this, is, this isn't inspiring. But there was a massive pirate ship with pirates on it. <laughs> so I went to talk to them and they turned out to be a company who specialised in using accelerated learning um, in the field of finance training. And I thought, well, if you can do that with finance training, then you can clearly do it with IT training. Because at this point, I was thinking, we've got to do something better with IT training. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I... I well, effectively, I kind of jumped ship from the company I was working in and, and went and joined their ship. <laughs> the pirate ship? The pirate ship. <laughs> they weren't permanently in a pirate ship, it has to be said. And, and what did you do there? So, um, actually, that was, you see, my life. My, yeah, you see, I do this. I do jump ship occasionally and go and, you know, pursue an interest. Um, we started training and I, I was working with them. And uh, this is uh, my worst training experience, I can tell you. Um, we were I was working with them to deliver a program, and I was asked to deliver. I was still a new, really new trainer, really fresh into uh -huh. it. I was asked to deliver a session on coaching, uh, a very small session, as part of a much bigger leadership program. So we turned up on that. So, so I didn't really know anything else about the rest of the program. I just learned my bit about the coaching piece. <laughs> really, you know, I knew it really well. And we got there and the morning started. And at about the morning break, my colleague, who was the, you know, the senior person who really knew what he was talking about, had a phone call from his wife to say, um, darling, you're going to have to come home because the baby that's due in two months is now it's on, on its way. So he just left. And I was left there thinking, OK, so what do I do now? Um, so I tried really hard to struggle through. And if in retrospect, I would have done something entirely different, but I tried really hard to struggle through. The um, the training manager was present at this, you know, quite prestigious training course, and she just, mm -hmm. she, she really undermined me, um, kept watching and being, you know, rather than taking me aside and saying, look, what can we do? Um, yeah. she, just, she just made me feel incredibly nervous. So basically, we just stopped the course and waited until the next day when one of my other colleagues turned up. And it was a horrible <laughs> experience. 
but it really it really cemented in me that idea that you just have to go with what the learners need you don't necessarily need to stick to the content because yes. if we'd if we just opened up the conversation at that point which I would do now I'd just say look you know everything's changed let's just open up the conversation what do you need to know how can we do that together how can we work together to find answers to what you need you know it could have it could have been a, probably a better experience than one we designed yeah I, I- Absolutely. And I think just hearing that, what I'm, what I'm hearing is the link um, between curiosity and flexibility and adaptability. So how do you how do you use your trait of curiosity to jump into that learner's world? And so before we move into curiosity and leadership, I'd actually love to pardon the pun again, pick your brains around the role of curiosity in learning um it's such an important point but i would love to hear it from the master <laughs> um well without it learning is is really difficult i mean you know the first thing in in learning is to make learning easy is it the person who wants to learn needs to want to learn and and for me curiosity is you know that desire to learn is is the starting point of of anything it doesn't matter in, in my view, it doesn't matter how much of any of the other really good stuff you do to make sure that, you know, knowledge skills are transferred into the workplace and that you improve your productivity and performance and all those things that make a business or an organization work. If people don't want to learn in the first place, the rest of it won't happen. So you've got to mm. get them, you've got to get them feeling curious. You've got to try and tap into their curiosity. And I think you can do that in lots of small ways. So, you know, you can you can send them things that make them curious. You can maybe keep some things about the program that you're maybe introducing to them, you know, a bit hidden, you know, mm. prompt them with questions, prompt them with mysteries, prompt them with, you know, for instance, on one of our courses, we always say, please bring a hat. But we don't tell them why they're going to bring a hat. We just yes. ask them to bring one. So small things can prompt sufficient curiosity to at least get people starting to think, well, okay, that's, I mean, you've obviously got to do lots of stuff beforehand to make sure that the program's right for them and that, you know, that you've selected the right people for the right training and you've designed the program with those people in mind. But that, that getting the individual curious is, is for me, that's the key to learning. So, so taking the example of the hat, bring a hat, um, they're reading this on their invitation. What is then going on between their ears when they read that? What's sort of the next step? What's happening? So that starts them asking questions. You know, why why do I need a hat? And for some people that might be, you know, slightly kind of concerning. You know, I haven't got a hat or which hat do I bring? Does it matter which hat I bring? So they're starting to kind of puzzle over the hat. Um some people will think, oh, that sounds like it's going to be a fun course. You know, lots of people have different um, reactions to that. Yeah. But I think all of them are going to start asking questions as to, to why the hat. And once you start asking questions, that's that's how you start to learn, isn't it? That's that's yeah. that's, that's yeah, it's just the essence of it. So and even if somebody is slightly and, and, and you know, a lot of people are nervous going to training, even if somebody has a slight nervousness, that level of curiosity raises your attention um, and it it starts to um, produce, uh, produce dopamine. Mm-hmm. So that level of dopamine that we get 
I've, I've just found out something really interesting about dopamine and curiosity, actually. Shall I tell you? Ooh, Shall I say yeah, it now? Please, yeah, please, <laughs> <laughs> So curiosity appears to be located in your nucleus accumbens, but mm-hmm. so is part of the fear response. And it seems that it's the impact of dopamine on your nucleus accumbens that decides whether you feel curiosity or fear. And off the top of my head, I think, wow. um, I've only just learned this, so you know, I, I need to get it clear, but I think if the dopamine affects the back of the nucleus accumbens, then I think that feels like fear. And if it affects the front of the nucleus accumbens, if it stimulates there, then I think that feels like curiosity. I could have those two the wrong way around, but. Gosh, but they're two sides of the same coin. Almost, yeah. Yeah, and you and can understand that. that was just a reward center of the brain. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Explain, explain why that makes sense. Well, if you think about, you know, the, there's something new. When, when there's something new, we can either be afraid mm. of it or we can be curious about it. And actually, yes. both those things are true, aren't they? If you see a dark alley, I'm, I'm a t- I, I love, you know, kind of strange little weird streets. But every time I, I look down a cute little street and I think, I wonder where that goes. There's also that little weird, there's also that slightly fearful feeling of, well, it might go somewhere awful or there might be something lurking down it I can't see. Now, yeah. usually my curiosity gets the better of me, unless it's a really dark, scary night and then it probably wouldn't, you know, but. I was going to say, so your curiosity is giving you a bit of courage. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah, it does. It can give you that kind of like, well, well, I just, you know, I just really want to know. So actually, I'm going to overcome this fear. I'm going to go past this fear. And actually go and find out. So, yeah, curiosity and courage are actually quite important. I've been talking to an organization about um, fear of failure and mm. you know, how we can learn from failure. But, yeah, people fear failure. But, you know, if you can get curious about, well, what happens? What happens, you know, if I succeed or what happens if I fail? If you get curious about it, then what I, what I you know, and I'm, I'm kind of, interested in exploring this more but if you get curious about it can that how how far can that overcome your fear of failure or or your fear you know fear of anything absolutely because it's because curiosity in itself will so I suppose it's more of a neutralizer that we're not labeling so much um scary or failure or whatever the negative labels that we that we can put on things and and it's 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 yeah it, 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 well I'm not sure it's a it neutralizer Claire because I for me curiosity is a very strong feeling so I don't mm-hmm. think it's a neutralizer but I think it's 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 more of a yin and yang and which one at which point plays the stronger the stronger role yeah but if you've got something that you're currently labeling as very scary bringing curiosity in will I suppose lessen the effect of it, 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 I'm using the word neutralize, but mm. it sort of helps you move along that continuum. You're not yet excited, but you, you're no longer as fearful. I think what it might help you do is take the next step to find out a bit more. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I talked about going to New Zealand, and when we were thinking about going to New Zealand, you know, we talked to lots of people and we're telling them that we're thinking of going. And what we found was that just by telling people, you know, the first step was just saying to people, oh, we're thinking of going to New Zealand. That was like the first step. And that kind of then mm. took us into the next step, 
which then made us curious about, okay, so how do you get to New Zealand? You know, what do you have to do? And then and every step you took, there was a new thing to discover until you suddenly found, well, oh my goodness, we're living in New Zealand. And I, I yeah. guess that curiosity, <laughs> curiosity about the next piece kind of helped break down what is a, you know, a really big project. Let's go and let's move Ooh. our entire family to an entirely, you know, the other half of the world. But the curiosity kind of broke it down into small pieces because you couldn't, you couldn't, yeah. well, you could be curious about the big picture, but you also had to be curious about every little step along the way, which then enabled you to take that step because that wasn't a really big, fearful step. That was just, I'm just going to get some information. I'm just going to talk to somebody. I'm just going to apply. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So continuing along the thread of um, you joined the pirate company, pardon the pun, got thrown in the deep end with the guy who disappeared. Um, what was then the next step in your, in your journey? Well, the curious thing then was this particular company, um, unfortunately, uh, had a bit of a, a challenge and one of them um, ruined the company, basically. Um, so I was then kind of having thought I was going to work with them and, you know, so, so be, be presented with work. I was then thinking, OK, so I've now left the job I had. Uh, I've become self-employed, but I was going to work for these people. So actually now I'm just going to have to find some work on my own. Um, fortunately, at that point, I met um, Anne Grindrod, who you know, um, mm -hmm. and uh, another lady called Helen McKinley. I don't know if you know Helen or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we decided, we kind of partnered up together and said, well, let's work together and share what we have together and collaborate and, and kind of, you know, if any of us get some work, then we'll share it with each other, which is, which is what we did. And we did that for, you know, in an informal, we didn't have a creator company. We were all separate, but we did it for an, mm -hmm. on an informal basis for actually probably seven or eight years um, right. and worked together really closely on, on a number of, of projects. And so when for you, how do you know, and I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot here because it's not in the questions that we put in the, in, <laughs> in the brief, but how do you or did you or have you turned a curiosity into a passion? Because I see exactly what you're passionate about and, it, and it's, way stronger than curiosity. How did I turn it into a passion? That is, well, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that, Claire. Um, That's okay. I think it just evolves, doesn't it? And the more you become curious about something, the more you investigate it, the more you become interested. I mean, like I said, I always had an interest in people. I've mm. probably always had an interest in learning. I mean, most of my family were teachers, which was another thing I swore I was never going to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did have an interest in, in learning. How do we learn, you know, to do the things we do? How do we mm. learn? And, and, and what's, you know, what's the actual, you know, the, the kind, because I, I studied um, physiology at university as part of the psychology and, and some neuroscience, I was always really curious as to what was happening, what was really happening in people's brains when things change for them, when they feel things, when they learn, when, yeah. so, so that kind of, you know, but what's really going on in their brains. So I guess that's just, it's just that regular, long exploration into that that then it kind of takes over your life I suppose mm. and and if we sort of ripple out a bit into the 
into the bigger picture, into sort of, you know, how creating a learning culture in an organization because, you know, looking to the future, looking at what we're going through at the moment with the, with the pandemic, looking at potential shortages in skills, that it's going to be it's going to be critical to create learning that sticks as as part of an organization and as part of an organizational culture and of course curiosity is part of that so how do you how do you see this evolving and developing from a bigger picture perspective what is it that leaders need to sort of pay attention to to create a learning culture? I think they need to get people understand. I mean, one of the things I think is really important is to get everybody in the culture to understand learning better. I mean, I would say that, wouldn't I? But, you know, I think if uh, we all have to learn, even, even if we think, oh, no, I don't like, courses or I don't like training in a we have to learn learning is is a human condition that it's impossible if you don't learn you know you get hit by a bus very young um we have to learn it's just our evolutionary way of being and and you know with with things like covid you know we are all learning super fast to deal with a whole pile of different things and and you know for some people that's a good experience and for some you know they're having to deal with really difficult things right now Mm. Uh, you know Mm. all sorts of, of difficult things at different levels um but we're still going to learn from it and one of the things i think organizations can do is to support people in that learning and help them recognize the learning and give them give them more skills to how to actually learn effectively i talked a little bit earlier on about you know the fear of failure and how we can learn from mm. failure. now there are techniques they're not complex techniques but there are there are steps you can do to help you learn from failure there are steps you can take that help you learn from you know the horrible things in in life that we all get get thrown at us and if mm. we can just help people learn to learn not just the formal stuff but from the the experience and the informal stuff too i feel that would drive a learning culture enormously because you you could have the the top you know that sort of promoting learning within the organization and you know funding learning and recognizing that learning within an organization is the way to have a successful organization otherwise you just yeah. gonna get stuck but if we've also from the bottom up got people being curious about their own own learning and, and and understanding what learning is then I think that that makes a much stronger culture because it's not being imposed from the top it's coming from both ends I, I think that's a really really important point that you make Stella and I know you know both you and I in the work in the facilitation work that we've done one of certainly one of the challenges that I've had in the past is say we're uh, running programs around, you know, becoming more flexible to change, building resilience, etc., is that 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 my access to that senior leadership team um, was always blocked in some way, where it was, well, you know, we we perceive that we don't need to learn that, you know, we're already experts in change. So there was this 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 perception that no, that's okay. This is for everybody else. Um, and yet, were they to become 
curious and role model that curiosity about their own learning, I think that could then have a ripple effect. I totally agree there, Claire. I mean, you're, you're right. Um, I, and what I don't know, what I'm, curi- what I'm curious about <laughs> <laughs> is, are those leaders at the top genuinely not interested in learning, you know, about change or whatever it might be? Or is there somebody in the middle putting that perception onto them, putting that thought onto them and, and, and kind of blocking you from getting there? Because... I actually think most people at the top, you know, how did they get there? They probably, part of how they got there, I mean, part of it, you know, could be, you know, they say that many leaders are psychopathic, um, not all, <laughs> um, you know, so maybe they just trampled on everybody. But even that, you know, how, you, you've still got to think, how do I get round this? How do I persuade this person? How do I, mm. you know, th- there's always those questions. So I, I would imagine, um, it'd be a really interesting, I'm sure somebody's probably done the study I would imagine most leaders probably are quite curious and that potentially sometimes the blocker is in the middle where, you know, people often say to me, you know, if we're doing brain-friendly learning, well, when we're doing brain-friendly learning, and, you know, maybe we talk about using, you know, games or activities or toys. Well, well, that won't work for the senior management. Yeah. Well, why won't I've, it work for the that, senior I've management? You know, senior management have got brains just the same as everybody else. And they need engagement and they enjoy fun and they, you know, they need to feel, um, you know, perhaps a little trepidation occasionally. And, and, you know, I'm quite sure they mostly do. They don't really, really don't want to sit and listen to somebody being boring any more than anybody else. And they don't need, you know. They don't need formality all the time. It's good for them to get out of that kind of, you know, I'm a senior person and I have to look senior. But it's often it's often the people in the middle who say, oh, no, no, that won't work for them. And, I, and I know it does because we really, work with senior people and they love it. For, yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting food for thought. I'm going uh, to take that one and think about it and reflect on it. Absolutely. And so... Uh, Carrying on sort of now that we're we're talking about that leadership level um, and and you already mentioned it about that, of course, leaders need to be curious, that the curiosity in their problem solving and and decision making. But where where do you see curiosity as being or why do you see curiosity as being an important trait in leadership? Because if you're not curious and you don't therefore learn, you can't you can't adapt to the the world that's out there. And you know, leaders need mm. to be massively able. You know, yes, they have to set a direction and steer, but they have to be able to recognise. You know, there's an iceberg coming, or there's you know a hole in the ground, or you know, what's the competition doing? Why are they? I heard mm. today. Um, I think. Um, Apple have just, I don't know, they've got, they've got a trillion, yeah. trillion pounds, trillion dollars or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy. But, you know, wow, how did that happen? How, what are they mm. doing? So if you're a leader, you, you need to be looking at, you know, what are other people doing so that you can learn from it or, or, or not do it? Um, so I think as a leader, you're going to have to ask those questions in order to, to build your organization in order to take people with you and also I think that curiosity about you know what's happening within my own organization Mm. that we can improve that we can build that we can change that we can adapt so you know they 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 need to have like a a 
360 degree curiosity radar out there? Because as soon as they start saying, well, I think I know the answer. Yeah. You know, the one answer or the multiple answers. Then you then you stop. You stop learning. And once you stop learning, you, you can't adapt anymore. You stagnate, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's probably never been a, a, a better time in history in, in any of our lifetimes to take curiosity and really wonder about what the future of work will be. It's really interesting, Claire. I've, um, I'm doing a piece of work with Novartis at the moment. So I, I, me and many others, um, I think it was the first time they did it last year, Novartis had a curiosity month. And this was about promoting a learning culture within the organization. Um, and they're repeating it this year uh, in September. And they have just got a whole range of different things in that month. They've got different speakers, they've got different activities, and they are really, really promoting this idea that, you know, get curious about your work, get curious about your colleagues, get curious about, you know, you. Um, so they're using curiosity to absolutely drive the idea of a learning culture. Mm. I love that idea, curiosity, Mum. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. that something that you suggested to them? Or no, 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 no. No, um, I was... Uh, invited to chair a session um, at the Learning Tech Conference last year, and, and they were talking. Uh, the, my speaker was talking about what they were doing at uh, Novartis. So yes, it wasn't certainly wasn't me that instigated it. It was somebody very smart within Novartis. And do you know what? I'm curious now because I don't know who did it. So I think you know whoever mm. instigated that idea um, has you know a lot a lot of kudos because. It's such an interesting way of, of, you know, rather than saying, right, we're going to promote a learning culture, we're going to have learning week. This is just curiosity week. Uh, month. Yeah. It's, a whole, it's a whole month of curiosity. And yeah. they are putting an incredible amount of effort. They've got speakers from, I mean, I'm, I'm on a, a session with Barbara Oakley from Coursera. She's one of the world's most famous sort of um, authors on Coursera. Uh, yeah. And there are lots of really, really amazing speakers that they they're working with you know so they're sharing it with all the the entire Novartis staff which is fairly huge as you can imagine and global um they're translating I think they've got six um translations going on at any one time and they're changing you know in the morning they're translating in kind of um when the geography western no, West, yeah, Western Hemisphere stuff. And in the evening, yeah. they're translating in Eastern Hemisphere languages. So, you know, they are really putting a massive amount of effort into this idea of let's get our people curious and learning. Well, I mean, just just listening to that, that I mean, there's going to have to be a return on investment. You think about how how curiosity uh, as a cog in a wheel fosters innovation, creativity, new products new services new ideas it it it's a real um it's a real little kickstarter isn't it accelerator yes it is yeah yeah and i and i know creativity is one of the things that they're they're hoping will spin off from the curiosity and again it does because you know you get curious about something which then ex, you know one of the things to be creative isn't it is to expand your horizons and to bring one idea from here and one from there and another one from uh -huh. over there and then kind of merge them together in, in, and, you know, come up with a creative idea. So that if you're curious, you have, it's almost like you've got, 
I don't know, antennae out looking at things. Yeah. Which then allows you to be more creative. So I think curiosity and creativity go together beautifully. Yeah, yeah, they are there hand in hand. So back on our thread, Stella, because I'm I'm in conversation with you here in Sydney and it's just starting to get dark now and we're winter going into spring. Where are you chatting from? <laughs> so I'm chatting from sunny, warm and summery Belgium. And how? And, uh, I, and I, I know it wasn't a direct jump from the UK to Belgium. Please just fill us in. <laughs> okay, so um, about four years ago now, um, you know, kids had grown up. Husband and I were very happy kind of, you know, doing our roles and things. But we were ready for another, we were ready for another adventure. Um, we've always loved Spain. Technology had got to the point where, you know, I was realizing that instead of always going to a meeting, I was having quite a lot of Skype meetings with with clients and things. So we thought, well, actually, we really fancy just going abroad for a year and living abroad. We'd always wanted to do go and live in Europe for a year. So mm-hmm. we decided to move ourselves and our businesses to Spain initially for a year. And then we said, well, we'll we'll see what see what happens after that. So we went for a year. And then thought, yeah, well, we're not we're not coming back. This is this is great. We're really enjoying where we are. We were living in a beautiful city called Burgos in northern Spain, Spain's coldest city. Oh. So not not, <laughs> not too hot for That's me. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so we you know we were we were settling down. We were just about to we found a really nice little flat. We were just about to move to a new flat. I was working in a really nice co working space. You know, everything was humming along nicely. And then I was in I went to the learning tech conference uh, again and bumped into somebody well I thought I bumped into them but it turned out they were stalking me um, (laughs) (laughs) tracking me down who said um, you know we're starting a new company and we want to um, ask you to have a look at we're starting a new company based on um, a training company and we want you to come and sort of audit what we're doing to see whether what we're planning on doing is is you know, a good method of learning. So I said, great, that sounds like a really interesting um, project. So did that, uh, this company happened to be in Belgium. So went from Spain to Belgium three or four times to uh, work with them on looking at their methodology and kind of putting some ideas in. And, uh, and, and you know, and it looked like a really robust methodology. Uh, the CEO, Raf Simus, turned out Who? to be some... Is sorry, Raf, who uh, is on the August podcast. <laughs> Indeed, um, I was really inspired by Raf. He was already running a, a business that was a tech talent um, incubator, but he had this mm-hmm. idea for this new business, and I was just really inspired by his vision, by the way he'd grown his previous business. So for years, I kind of been wanting to really grow my business, but never quite found anybody who had the same passion for learning and really. I, I was meeting lots of people with passion for learning, but really hmm. good business skills, business growth yeah. skills. So, you know, I was really inspired by what he was doing. I was fascinated to be part of the journey with them and was working as a consultant for them. Um, and I was helping Raf look for somebody who could be their chief learning officer. And we were interviewing people and just nobody was quite, nobody had quite enough <laughs> of everything they needed. And then one day Raf just said, Stella, it could be you. 
And we're looking hadn't... at we're looking at them. Yeah, and and he hadn't asked before because he knew I was really happy in Spain, so he didn't think I would move to Belgium. Ah. And all, all while this had been going on, I had myself been thinking, "Wow, that's a really cool job." You know, this this job I'm interviewing people for that looks like a really exciting job. So when he said that, I said, "Okay, I'm going to go back and think." And had to go home and then say to to my husband, um, you know, we're really enjoying living in Spain. How would you feel about moving to Belgium? There's a lot of beer. <laughs> oh my goodness! So fortunately, um, we we had already we already liked Belgium. We'd, we'd been to Belgium quite a lot. Nick had worked in Belgium a number of times before on on contracts. So we you know we knew we liked Belgium, and co- very coincidentally. Um, I'd also done some other work in Belgium in Mechelen a number of times in the last couple of years. So, you know, we mm-hmm. were kind of quite familiar with it. So we said, this is such a great opportunity. It's such an exciting project. You know, yes, we'll do it. We can always go back to Spain later if we want to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so we moved to Mechelen in Belgium in December. I think it was December the 31st last year. Wow. So you didn't get too much time before you went into lockdown. We didn't, which has been a bit of a challenge because, oh. you know, it's it's part of what I love about going to a new place is meeting new people. And that's turned out to be much harder than of course. normal. <laughs> so what I'm what I'm hearing here is that, I, you know, I don't know if it's like a bit of a chicken and egg question in terms of the link between curiosity and adventure. You know, have you always had a sense of adventure and, and do they come hand in hand or if you were to foster your sense, if one were to foster one's sense of curiosity, would that then give them more courage and, and a greater sense of adventure? So as a child, I was very not adventurous. Um, I was very shy. Um, I was physically always very timid, like I've never climbed a tree, you know, far, far too scary. Um if we were on the beach, which we used to do a lot, I would always be worried about the tide coming in. So I don't think I was an adventurous child. No. I think when I went to university, that was the, well, yeah, it was the first time I'd ever lived away from home, of course. Um, you, everybody went, well, when I was, when I was, everybody I knew was going to university. So that kind mm-hmm. of was a normal thing to do. And it was a bit nerve wracking, but actually I found it was fantastic. It was really exciting and I had all these new experiences. So in a sense, it was that kind of being forced into, forced wasn't the right word. I wanted to go to university, but being forced into change that made me realize, wow, this is, this is really good. And then I think all those other, all those other things that happened, you know, I think when you take a slightly scary step, I mean, you know, motherhood is one of the scariest steps you can take but many of us do it without without thinking or parenthood um you take those steps and you begin to realize that whoa there's a whole there's a whole world out here I hadn't I hadn't mm. realized and and actually it's often easier than you think so long as you take the steps you know you have to plan it and you have to think about it but that mm. sense of curiosity I think we talked about it you know overcoming the fear of the future can help you just think well how how might it be? And, you know, it, it might be really scary or it might be really yeah. fantastic. And, you know, the reality is it's both. It's always, there's always, you know, yeah. coming to Belgium has been fantastic and absolutely I'm really loving my new role. But there are some days I'm just thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> because there's <laughs> and, lots of scary that, new things. 
And I think it's Susan Jeffers who wrote Embracing Uncertainty calls it the marvel of maybe. Yeah. You know, but but to you know to to uh, refrain from labeling things. Yeah, maybe it's going to be brilliant. Maybe it's going to be a nightmare. Maybe it'll be yeah, who knows. But let's give it a go. And I think I'm lucky that you know I'm curious, but I'm also quite an optimistic person. Mm-hmm. So uh, whilst also being pretty good at considering the the downsides, but the my experience, and I am hugely lucky, my experience has been that when I've taken a risk, mostly we've made it work mm. and it's worked out really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, to uh, embrace curiosity at this moment in time, I think, you know, it's it, it's it's hugely timely when this is going out to think about, well, you know, I don't have control over this or control over that, but but I can stay curious about what the future might hold. Um, and and combined with the optimism that, you know, if we if we consider the metaphor of a roller coaster, well, we're probably, pardon my French, in a bloody big dip at the moment. <laughs> and you know <laughs> but if at you, some point it has to come up. If you think about, you know, the history of humans a lot of you know i think the the humans and and the world have have gone through the roller coaster as you as you say you know many many times this actually in terms of some of the things that have happened in the world yes it's global and yes everybody knows about it and i think part of that is you know the 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 reach of global has made has made the disease spread but also the reach of social media has meant everybody knows about it i'm mm. sure in the past there would have been you know pockets of people who they wouldn't have heard about it and they wouldn't have bothered them. Yeah. yeah. But now everybody knows about it. So, mm. you know, the, 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 I, I, uh, some people always believe we're at a special place in history. And I actually am not entirely sure about that. I just wonder if we're just in a different place in history. Mm. Because, it, because at every stage, everybody's thought it was special. Because it, for you, it is special because it's the only time yeah. you've ever had that. And for the people around you, but actually, over history, there's a program on Radio Four called the Long, the Long View, I think, and they always uh-huh. compare, you know, a current event with something from the past, and you know how often there are really strong similarities, and yeah. people get through it. So yeah, 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 I think we should, we can be curious about what is this new world going to bring, and it's going to bring some real, real challenges. It has already brought some huge challenges, but it is going to bring some good things with it yeah there will there will be some huge opportunities and we're just coming to the top of our time now and uh there's, there's normally a question that I ask towards the end of the podcast but before I do ask that question you know what I've felt that this last four, 15 minutes has been is you've almost been like um an ambassador for curiosity that you know, I'm, I'm bought in. I mean, I'm naturally curious anyway, but I think if I was listening to this, it's made me realise the the role that curiosity has in shaping uh, our attitude to work, our attitude to life, our attitude to risk. So thank you for that. And I don't know if, if there is any more to say, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, because it's a question I always ask everybody. Uh, 
is that you know if the, if the, if there were, were one key message to share around curiosity and curiosity in leadership or curiosity in, in, in the situation that we're, we're in today um, that you would like to to leave our listeners with and get them thinking what might that be Stella I think it's it's probably when when something you know you see something in the future or you're planning the future you're it's just a step back and rather than perhaps react to things it's maybe just to step back or, or to reflect and, and it could be after you've done something and just say I wonder why I wonder why that was different or mm. I, I think I wonder is is a, is, yeah. a, is a useful kind of phrase you know I, I wonder I wonder how I wonder why I wonder when so maybe I wonder is mm. just preface preface your thoughts with I wonder the wonder of wonder. <laughs> the marvel of maybe and the wonder of wonder. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you so much. I could go on and on and on, but I know you've got another meeting coming up and um, it's probably wine o'clock for me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Stella, would it be okay uh, if I put details of your book and a connection to LinkedIn and details of Stella Labs on the show notes. That would be absolutely perfect. Thank you very much. Wonderful. You can put my Twitter so, handle on there too, if you like. Oh, yes, you're, 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 a, you're a great tweeter. You really are. I'm, still I'm, doing, there, I'm so. doing less tweeting at the moment than I have done in the past. But uh, yeah, I still, <laughs> I, still, I, li I still like Twitter. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm curious uh, about the rest of your day. I hope it's fabulous. And um, I'm going to enjoy uh, a wonderful evening in our wonderfully simplified life, <laughs> which is great. Stella, thank you so much. It's thank been you, an Claire. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. It was really, really lovely to catch up with you again. As always, go well, stay safe. <laughs>